Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Binge Chicken. Today, we are looking at the, I would say, hottest new <laughs> Netflix series, um, Bridgerton. And I've got Alex here with me. Hey, Alex. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. How are you? I'm good. I've just switched you around because you are hosting this episode. <laughs> um, I'll guess because I thought Bridgerton is more my... Um, in my interest area is yours. Um, so Bridgerton is Netflix's new series that was, was released on Christmas Day 2020 and we're now um, in Australia at least. It's the 2nd of January. Um, so we've taken a bit over a week to actually watch it, but um, we did actually end up binging it. I mean, we started watching it probably on New Year's Eve and we finished it. So um, is it bingeable? We can say Absolutely. very early on. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay, so just some background on the series in case you have not watched it yet or don't know what we're talking about. Um, it is a series set in the 1800s. You had the exact year, Alex. I think we saw um, the first episode was set in, well, I guess the whole series is set in 1813, I think it is. Yeah, that's it. And we should say, so this first half is going to be non-spoilers for anyone listening who hasn't watched it yet. Yes, yes, non-spoilers for the first half. Um, and we'll let you know when we're actually going to go into detail. Um, yeah, so set in the 1800s, um, very much looking at the upper class of society, British society of that time, known as the Ton. Um, and it's based off a book series by author Julia Quinn. There's actually eight books in the series um, with each book following each of the Bridgerton children. So Bridgerton refers to the family that we are following um, in this season. And I do wonder if there'll be subsequent seasons given the buzz around this. I do think so. And I would like to know what's happened, particularly given that final episode. Um, okay, so to get into our non-spoiler breakdown... Um, what were your thoughts on Bridgerton prior to watching, Alex? Um, well, you showed me the trailer, I think maybe a week or so before it came out and sort of suggested that we'd be watching it for our podcast. And I'll, I'll admit my first my first instincts or first thoughts were that it wasn't going to be the sort of show that I'd be interested in watching. Um, I'm not really huge on period piece dramas generally, Um and so I watched the trailer and I thought, you know, okay, it looks it looks interesting enough that I'll, I will give it a go, um, but didn't really think it was going to be my sort of show. You, you sort of asked before, like, is this a bingeable show? And I think sitting down for the first episode, I was sort of saying to you that I'd have to I'd have to watch it in very sort of small segments. But we ended up really tearing through the whole show. Yes, um, I so. Yeah, I do remember when I suggested it, you were, you kind of laughed at me and I said, look, let's watch the first couple of episodes and if you hate it, we can talk about why you hate it. Um, and I would continue watching it myself um, because period pieces are definitely my bread and butter. I love anything to do, Jane Austen, Charlotte Bronte, all the Bronte sisters, um, and this is very much in that world, though a very modern approach to that world. Um and, yeah, in the past I've watched, you know, Downton Abbey and Vanity Fair, which was out last year. Um, I think I highly recommend Vanity Fair. It's a great series as well. Um, so this is very much my genre of TV show. So I was very, very excited to watch it. Alex, definitely not. Um, have your thoughts changed after we've now watched the whole eight episodes? Yeah, um, I think one of the things that grabbed me the most about it was, and it was something that we sort of commented on watching that first episode, that um, it's almost like a blend of, I guess, Gossip Girl. And I sort of picked up on or, or felt like it kind of echoed um, even Desperate Housewives, where you've got that narrator, that kind of unseen narrator kind of um, gossiping about the various families and, and their yeah. goings-ons. So I quite liked that it was a bit more modern like that. Um, that sort of probably grabbed my interest a bit more than it otherwise would have because I guess it um, added that more modern layer or modern um, theme to the show, which I quite liked, which, yeah, yeah. Made, it, made it very watchable for me. Yes, and I think you can expect it is um, produced by Shonda Rhimes that it was going to be um, pretty good. I mean, we 
the last Shonda Rhimes show that we watched was How to Get Away with Murder, and we got through that pretty quickly. Um, mm. Speaking of bingeable shows, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I kind of had high hopes for this as well in terms of having that um, hook, which is really there from that first, first episode, um, particularly with the elusive character of Lady Whistledown, which I don't think is a spoiler at this point. I mean, we know that there is um, that, as you said, um, unknown narrator who is narrating over everything. Um, and you're trying to work out who she is. I mean, we do follow um, probably my favourite character of Eloise um, as she goes on that journey to find out if she can discover who um, Lady Whistledown is. Um, but this really, this first series focuses on um, the oldest Bridgerton daughter. Um, so, yeah, there's eight Bridgerton children, four boys, four girls, and the oldest daughter is Daphne. Um, and her escapades with the Duke. Um, did you have any characters that you particularly stood out to you? Um, probably, yeah, look, uh, I'd probably say similar to you, Eloise was was definitely up there because, of course, like, yeah, like you said, this is a family that we're following through, I guess, the courting season. I guess like, I kind of tried to understand. I guess they all come down to London for the courting season where the, the older daughters are trying to get married off and the older sons are trying to find um, someone to, you know, uh, take over the family with. Um, so, you know, th there's various different characters that you can get caught up with. And um, I was trying to keep track of all the different names. So, um, you know, Eloise probably was one of my favourites. I, th I, I quite liked Penelope. Um, I think yeah, she... Yeah, so Penelope isn't a Bridgerton. So... No. Um, just for those who maybe haven't watched it yet and they're just trying to gauge their interest, um, yes, the main family follower are the Bridgertons, hence the show name, but we also uh, we meet other families within um, the circle, the other um, family that we probably closely actually interact with are the Featheringtons. Oh, my gosh, that's a mouthful. The Featheringtons, um, who are like the polar opposite to the Bridgertons um, in terms of costuming and... Um, the Bridgertons are very much that old money. I mean, can you say old money in the 1800s? Um, they're very much um, a proper part of society where the Ferrington's are kind of on the fringes um, and that they're that try-hard kind of family to get into um, that world. Um, I mean, they're in it. They're definitely in it, but they definitely face a lot more adversity to the Bridgertons. Mm. And if we were to, if we were to draw a comparison to another, another modern sort of um, soapy sort of show that we've watched, The OC, um, you could almost call, you know, that the the matriarch of the Featherington family is very much in the mold of a Julie Cooper. She um, is a Julie Cooper. She even looks like um, her. That kept blowing my mind, um, which is very entertaining. But yes, there's a lot, lot, a lot of modern comparisons I think within this that you can make because it is very much. Um, a modern show that's just set in that 1800 period. So you do have a lot of modern ideas coming through. Um, so there's a lot of talk about feminism, um, particularly from our Eloise and Penelope and wanting to be working women who don't want to get married. Um, but then you even see the boys as well pushing those traditional roles that they're assigned. Um, I mean, so we've got Daphne, as the oldest girl who is trying her hardest to be that traditional female in society because she knows that's the only way forward for her sisters um, and her family. Um, so, you know, looking to get married and to marry um, well um, to ensure that her sisters also have that opportunity, um, having um, another three below her. But then you also have her brother, the eldest, Bridgerton Anthony, who after their father's passing is now the Viscount, um, or Viscount as my head keeps reading it as, um, also trying to fit that mould, but then also challenging it um, in their own sort of way. With the younger siblings, such as Benedict, who I absolutely adore as well, it's my other favourite. It seems to be the second, children, um, the second boy and girl that I quite enjoy following their stories because they're the ones who are really trying to go and find their own path and not be yeah. limited to what society says they need to do. 
Well, um, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, the, the male Bridgertons as well, I quite like in terms of, as you've mentioned, Benedict, um, he's the he's the artist, isn't he? Yes. Or am I, no, no, hang on, have I got them backwards? No, yep, so Benedict's the artist and then Colin's the um, the one who's friends with one. Penelope? Yes, he's Penelope. Yes, friend. okay, yes, I like Colin as well. They're both, I think, I think one of the things this show does very well is it does create very distinct characters. So I, even though... I'm really terrible with character names and I get, I forget character names. I was still able to, I, I never felt like I was watching a scene and thinking which character am I following now? Like they were very distinct characters with their very distinct sort of personalities and it was set up quite quickly and quite well in the show. Um, mm-hmm. So it made it quite easy to follow what was going on. Yes. Um, now, as I said, yeah, they do introduce some modern ideas in there. So like that feminism, um, there's, a really well, like a diverse cast, which is really great to see. Um, but again, with um, Shonda Rhimes as an executive producer, I wouldn't expect anything else. Um, we do have very much, yeah, that diverse cast um, and a whole range of characters, which I think will appeal to anyone and everyone because um, it's going to be a character that you um, enjoy their escapades of. Um, now, you did mention before that it is similar to Gossip Girl. So who would you recommend? I mean, if you like Gossip Girl, you're going to like this. Um, and there is a bit of a difference between this and Gossip Girl because you don't have to wait however many seasons there were of Gossip Girl. I get up in the end um, until the end of the whole show to find out who our um, narrator is. We find out very early on. Well, we find out very on, not very early on. We find out at the end of this season who Lady Whistledown is. Um, and it's very, I guess, satisfying to have that knowledge as an audience rather than having that um, being left. So, yeah, I would recommend it um, to anyone who likes Gossip Girl or those sorts of things. Um, yeah. Would you recommend it to Alex? I think that's right. I think I think it's one that um, I think if it was more strictly period piece, I would say it's just appealing to a very select group of people like you you, you quite like your period pieces and, and we have friends yes. male and female who really love their period pieces i'm not i'm not necessarily saying it's just for one particular gender but i think this appeals to a broader group of people by adding in both we're so, as we're sort of saying these modern elements but then also that mystery that kind of links through the first season um i think i think you're right i think it's good that we do find out at the end of this season um purely because it adds that layer now of for season two and beyond we know something that the characters don't. So I think that yeah. actually adds a really interesting layer. Yes, um, but, I'm, yeah, I mean, yeah. Sorry. Um, sorry, I'm talking over you. Um, it would be inter- interesting now it's like to re-watch it mm. and see if we can find, like, spot out Lady Whistledown um, because it's very much something you're not looking for and then now you know who it is. I'm like, I just want to go back and identify like where they were when these events are happening and they're being reported on. Um, yeah, yeah, so I think but- I think I think it appeals to it, it can appeal to a broad audience. I think people, if people give it a chance, um, I, I think for me it probably grabbed me around. Like I, I enjoyed the first few episodes, but I think it really grabbed me maybe halfway through the season as the plots are really starting to develop and. Yeah. Um, we, we were sort of past laying the groundwork and we were into the real juice of their plots. I think that's when it really grabbed me. So I think I think it's definitely a show that anyone can really enjoy. I think we've sort of seen the comment, it's not a sort of show to watch with your parents. Um, there is a crap. Do not there, watch it with your parents. Do not. There is, there, this is a PSA. There is a, yeah. There, there's a, f- a, a, fair few, um, a fair few sex scenes in it. I mean, there's not... I wouldn't say there's much gratuitous nudity. I think the the nudity is handled handled quite well, but there are you know a lot of sex scenes depicted. So, oh, um, gosh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting in that sense as well. Um, it's a bit more, I guess, in your face than you'd normally get in a period piece, which I think is also a bit of the the modern twist that they've put on it. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I think it's I think for a show that you know, a, a, as we started out, and I was sort of saying, you know, one hour runtime for the episodes, they do fly past once you're really into the plot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's not you actually complained about when we first started watching it. You looked at the episode length and went, "I am not going to be able to get through this." But by the time you actually got through episode one, I think you really did. Um, My attention span is atrocious. 
your attention span for period pieces is atrocious. Um, I distinctly recall Downton Abbey, you could get as far as the opening credits before falling asleep. So Look, it was a great way. If I, if I was struggling to fall asleep on any given night, put an episode of Downton Abbey on and I was out like a light. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, yeah, I recommend it basically for anyone. Give it a go. Um, I said, don't watch it with your parents. That's, we, we watch one episode for parents and I was awkward the whole time, so I do not recommend it. Um, but, yeah give it a go it is actually really entertaining and i'm sure alex despite your um concerns at the beginning i mean yes you can say it's a period period piece but um you know if i'm watching pride and prejudice for example it's very different to what we're seeing in bridgerton same world the ideas are so much more modern it is very much a modern show just set in that context and, and, and those one, contextual ideals coming from things. Yeah, and, and I guess one other thing that we haven't mentioned yet in terms of how it took on that more modern interpretation is also the music, which I thought was really well done. Um, there's a few really sort of, you know, you'll get your modern pop songs that have been sort of reimagined as orchestral uh, symphonies in the background at their balls and things like that, which uh, it sort of reminds me a bit in Westworld when you got the piano in the saloon would be playing a modern song which you know each episode it was kind of fun to pick what song they were they were covering that week um so similarly in this having that gave that that extra layer of it feels more modern but it feels very fitting for the time as well yeah you've got those um vitamin string quartet um covers of modern modern songs so if you are going to watch it look out for some taylor swift's mariana grande some john mendes Um, five Maroon 5, yeah, it really does. Um, yeah, it really, I mean, it appeals to a modern audience, but still keeping it in that world, which I think this show does really well in terms of subject matter, um, as well as, yeah, the music. Um, so, Alex, would you watch season two before we end this non-spoiler summary? Yeah, I, I think I think it left things in a really good place to sort of, bring people back for a season two. I think you sort of alluded to at the start that there's eight books following each of the different children. So presumably season two won't have the same focus as season one, which was very much a focus on Daphne and, and yeah. her um, her exploits with Simon. Um, but I think the, 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 the meat of the plots for the other characters was such that, you know, depending on which family member we're following in season two i think there's enough there to hook us in back in for their plot for the next season to to bring audiences back yeah um well, i think it's already clear that i would definitely watch season two i think we finished it yesterday and i sat there and went i need season two now please um so very much here for season two um so i think we'll end our non-spoiler review now so if you haven't watched it yet and you were just trying to get an idea of whether it should watch it yes watch it oh what were you going to say alex no, 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 I was just saying, so there's the sort of, there's the sort of drawing the line, that's the pause. So if, if anyone hasn't seen it, that's where they can sort of sign off and yeah. uh, and go binge it and then come back for part two of this where we can dig yes. into the spoilers. Um, yeah, so have watched, if you haven't watched it yet, go watch it, then come back and listen to the rest of this. If you have, keep listening. Um, we'll give you a couple of seconds to, I feel like I need filler music here. Lift music, Jeopardy music, um, or some modern string versions of some songs. Um, maybe some Harry Styles songs for season two. Anyway, spoiler review. Okay, Alex, let's get a bit more in depth with what actually happens. I feel like we were very vague in that first half, so if you guys have beard, good on you. Um, okay, so we already said this season focuses on Daphne. What were your thoughts on Daphne? I think like we can start dissecting from there. I think um, I think Daphne was an interesting character. She sort of um, starts off as somebody where I didn't feel like she was a very distinct person. She was very sort of typecast as your stereotypical sort of girl coming of age, going off to these sort of debutante ball or, or, or whatever it would be to find a suitor. And, and she's very much sort of in her mother's shadow, but... I think very quickly through the episodes, once she starts her first, first it's a ruse with Simon and then um, as sort of 
I guess one of the more predictable elements of the season is obviously we sort of look at them and say, okay, well, they're obviously going to fall in love. Um, yeah, that was but, something that annoyed me. It was very, hmm. it was, it, very it, was it was a bit cliched. Yeah, 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 it was a bit cliched. But but once we once we sort of got into that, and she sort of came out of the shadows and into being her own person, um, there's sort of a controversial moment a bit later on that we'll probably have a bit of a discussion about um, in itself. But from her character point of view, I did find her story arc over the season really interesting in how she sort of developed much more independence as a as a person in her own right. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like she's very much a stock character that you would expect in a 1800s England piece, that she's our girl who is there to get married. She's very much your, I wasn't going to say, she's more your Jane from Pride and Prejudice character who is the oldest and wants to marry well, um, and that's her, like, objective in life. That's what she wants. She wants to be um, presented have her debut to society and have that um, chance to be out and have the men come calling. And you see in that episode one um, that her overbearing brother almost brings that to a complete halt um, in terms of suitors visiting and actually making her an offer, um, which then leads that ruse with the Duke of Hastings, Simon. Um I think we should also point out that Daphne is given the title as the incomparable. She's the diamond of the season um, and, you know, is expected is to that from, that's, marry that's from the Queen, well. is it? That was from the Queen, the Queen. Charlotte, yes. Yeah. I love the Queen. She just gave me so much I don't care vibes about everything. Um, but then we also get that insight in, I think, episode... Four, was, yeah, or four or five, five I think, um, at the Queen's where life. The yeah. Queen, yeah, where we get the Queen, I think it's episode five, um, just looking at my notes, yeah, um, where we see her own situation. So this show is fascinating because you don't just follow, we're not just following Daphne. We get a glimpse into everyone's who's in that main ensemble's lives. So you get that glimpse into Queen Charlotte's and, um, you know, King George with potentially dementia or some sort of, mental illness um, that's debilitating him and their relationship. Um, and you very much get that um, kind of on running joke throughout the show whenever someone comes in and says, oh, you know, your highness, it's the king. And they're like, is she dead? And she replies, is he dead? Yeah. Um, as if she's waiting for him to die. But then we see that that insight there, which kind of gives us our understanding as to why She's like, is he dead yet? Or she distances herself because obviously being too close is causing pain. Sorry, I've just gone on a whole rant no, no. point. But this but is the whole the whole yeah, show. Like they you see their public persona and then you get that insight a bit more into their mind and things like that. For most of the characters, you see it with the mum, um, Violet, Bridgerton, um, you see it with Penelope, Featherington, um, What's Definitely the what's with... the what, what's the dressmaker's name? De, De... Um, Delacroix. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just yes. find it interesting that De, you know, um, and... Daphne Delacroix. Yeah, that that we're that we're sort of no, talking not Daphne. about the oh, character. No, Daphne Genevieve. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong name on my list. Genevieve um, is. But you know, all the way from the queen down to down to the lower class, so to speak, with the maids and the and the dressmakers and so on, we sort of get an insight into various people's lives. And it's such a deep show in that sense that you know we could talk for hours about each of the characters because mm -hmm. there's there's quite compelling and and detailed stories for each of them woven through the woven through the season. Yeah. Um. So before we go into like key, yes, we'll touch on two or three key things that happen throughout the season. Um, any characters you particularly liked, disliked? Um, as I just said, I really enjoyed the majority of the characters because you get kind of layers to them. Um, mm. I think I think that main ensemble. Yeah, I think Simon was a really complex character, and we'll talk a bit in a second, like you're just saying about um, some of the key themes of the season or key, key ideas. Um, mainly revolving around him and Daphne, I suppose. But I, f I found his character really complex, and, and I think it was helped by, was it episode two or episode three, we got the flashbacks of his childhood with his father and sort of the reasons that he was the way he is um, yeah. because he's sort of presented in the first episode as just very standoffish and, 
you know, he's a rake, which was your favourite new, new new term learned in this season. Um, him and him and Anthony are both basically rakes. They're kind of just going around doing their own thing. Um, but he he like Daphne goes through a complete kind of character arc in this season where he 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 develops into a, a really interesting and complex character. Um, so I think I think when you have characters where um, my favorite thing in any show that I'm watching is if you can have a character where you can disagree with what they do at any particular moment, but you can still understand why they do it or why they think yes. that way. It means that the show has done well at creating a character that is complex. And, and I think he's a really good example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked Lady Danbury as well as another character. Um, and I mean, we don't get too much into her backstory, but she does tell Simon, particularly with his harsh upbringing, um, with his family, um, you know, that she has to, she was scared of being out in society and had to create this like fearful image of herself, the way she dresses, the way she acts, her manners, um, in order to, you know, face the world. And you do see that she's very sharp tongued and um, on everything. I mean, there's a line where she says that she, where she's talking to Simon about the, um, divide between him and Daphne after they're married and she's like I have everything because she does um and there is that question from um, from Eloise that maybe she's Lady Whistledown I mean we do find out later on that she's not um but it would be under you understand why but yeah all those characters have those really um deep I guess um yeah layers levels layers whatever um, a character I was a bit ugh, about was Anthony. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I know he's trying his best as the Viscount, but he's just—I don't know—he's an interesting one. He's one we probably didn't delve much into, so I feel I like think, I don't know much about him outside of his uh, yeah. affair with his mistress. Well, I was going to say, I think, I think he's. In, in a lot of ways, he's pretty two-dimensional in this season, like you're saying. And I think that's maybe deliberately done because, like we were saying, I think season two is going to be a focus on him. So yeah, it's almost two. deliberately deliberately hasn't gone too deep into his plot because it's going to be expanded so much in the following season. Yeah. Book two in the actual book series is about Anthony. Um, so I expect season two would be about Anthony. And I did say to you when we finished watching it, I don't know how I'd feel watching a season two that, is focused on Anthony because I don't know how I feel about him as a character yet. He's just, extremely yeah, and, toxic, and, really. Mm. And um, that's why I think it's almost deliberate. This. Yeah. Because mm. it's almost it's um, almost like it's almost deliberately done so that when it's about him next season, you can go back and watch season one in a completely new way. Yeah. Or presum- yeah. presumably. That's, yeah. Um, which is interesting. Um, for me, okay. for me, it probably. Well, I was just gonna say quickly. For me, a character that I didn't really like um, was um, what's her face's husband, um, 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 Featherington. Yes, no, not is he Art? Is it? Is it? Yeah, Archibald. Yes, yes, Archibald. I I found his character very interesting. Well, sorry, I'll say interesting, but a character that I didn't really like because. Um, there's a, I mean, since we're talking spoilers, there's a scene where, well, he's very standoffish throughout most of the show and very dismissive of his wife and daughter's um, efforts going to the balls and so on. And we sort of learned that that's because of his gambling debts where he, he his family fortune's basically gone. And we compared the Featherington family to the Coopers and it does very, it, it does remind me a lot of Jimmy, Jimmy's, Marissa, um, Jimmy's plot. Well, there, yeah, that's true. But it sort of echoes Jimmy's plot in that first season of The O.C. But unlike Jimmy, who is sort of noble, I don't know if you'd call it noble to run away, but, but you know, ignoring The O.C., he, the, Archibald instead sort of confesses to his wife and then goes right back to sort of being quite sneery towards her and, and, and as if he hasn't really... Um, you know, felt sorry for what he's done to the family. And then and then we sort of get the sort of the conclusion of the season is him just back to his old tricks, trying to make his debts go away by, you know, taking any shortcut that he can find and ultimately for his own demise. Um, we presume anyway. I think yeah. it, 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 I, I wouldn't put it past the show to have him be alive in some capacity because I think the way it's worded is that it appears that he's dead. 
So maybe he's just missing. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was kind of cleared up. But, yeah, he was probably my least favourite character in that sense. Yeah, I did. And I think that's, that's probably deliberate. That's probably deliberate. Yeah, I don't think we're meant to like him. Yeah. Um, I think that's meant to then garner us more sympathy for Mrs. Severington and her daughters mm. because even though she's that Julie Cooper character, um, she's very, you know, up herself and comes across as, you know, they wear the most obscene, pat, obscenely patterned yeah. dresses, yeah, uh, which are awful. Um, which just sidetracked the costumes in the show are beautiful. Um, and the colouring is very specific to each of the family. So a lot of the Bridgertons wear blues and you find the Duke wears red, but when he does marry to Daphne, he starts to go into those blues and greens. Interesting. Um, but the Severingtons, the, again, as I said earlier, they're a bit more of like that opposite family. So they wear lots of bright pinks, bright oranges, bright greens, very heavy patterns. Um, and I feel like at the beginning you're not meant to be on their side, but I did find like I I did feel sympathy for them um even with the way that she treated Marina so there's a character of Marina Thompson who is Archibald Beverington's niece um who comes to stay with them for the season um and we later find out that she's pregnant and in those times being unwed and pregnant is a no-no um and so um you know, Mrs. Feverington tries to um, any trick in the book really to get Marina off her hands, um, so that um, you know they don't have a scandal and her daughters aren't affected by the fact that their niece is um, pregnant out of the lock. Um, and how mean she is to Marina, you know, locking her in the room for pretty much most of that second episode. Um, forcing her to potentially marry some older man who's not going to ask questions when she pops the baby out in seven months' time um, or six months' time. Um, I still felt some sympathy for her at the end because her husband was so horrible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was an interesting, just like looking at some key um, plot points of the show. We've got the Marina Thompson pregnancy, um, which really brings in that element of um, why, I guess, Daphne so eager to marry um, because at that time, and this is mentioned throughout, um, particularly in that games night with um, at Lady Danbury's um, and at the, the swinger party that Benedict goes to, um, I'll post that, that women are only granted freedom and like liberties to do what they what they please once they are married, and before that they have to follow very strict um, protocols. Otherwise, you know, shame will be brought upon them, and no one want to marry them. Um, and that is the main goal for all these women, except Eloise, um, is to get married so that they, you know, have someone to care for them, but also. Um, I mean, once Daphne discovers once she's married to the Duke and is talking to the other women who have all these arrangements with their husbands and things about not even living together and doing whatever they like because they are married, they're, they're free from scandal, if that makes sense. Or well, free yeah. from general scandal. I'm sure if they were to run off with another man, that would cause scandal. But um, we do see that a lot of them aren't necessarily sleeping with their husbands and they're still going to with it because they're married. Um, so yeah, that, that's a very big theme that follows through this whole series is that idea that women are subject to, um, a lot of expectations that aren't necessarily placed upon the men, as we see the comparison between the Bridget and brothers and sisters. Um, I mean, that, but there are some expectations for the Bridget and this is why Anthony has issues with his, with Sienna, the opera singer. And his mistress um but um yeah it's something that really like heavily goes throughout and this is where it come, comes back to Daphne and her desire to marry and to have children because that's the expectation um of society as far as she's aware um yeah do you have anything to say about that before I continue on because I've got something else to add 
Um, not not really on that. I, I did find it interesting. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned there the, the Swingers Party, and I'm going to be interested to see how that plot develops because I think that's kind of an interesting subplot with, um, is it Benedict? Um, and and sort of the world that he's found himself in that's very different to the one that he was, ex- well, the one, the one that he's expecting in society. Um, I feel like back then being an artist in a family wouldn't, re- especially in that sort of upper-class family, wouldn't really be seen as a noble uh, pursuit. Can I just chime in there? Yes. It's all in the firstborn. This is why Anthony's so sour. Mm. Um, mm. And it does get explained in the show that once, I think to Benedict or to Colin, I think it was Benedict, that once, yeah, I think it was, it was to Benedict at that, I think, um, party uh, at one of the parties because then he goes back to the um, jewel and starts freaking out because Anthony is like, if I die, you will be the head of the family. So mm. head of the family has expectations, particularly now that their dad's dead. He has to look after all the family. He's expected to marry well. So there's a lot of expectation on Anthony um, yeah. as much as there is on Daphne, I would say. Or there's more so on but, Daphne because yeah. she needs an advantage, advantageous marriage to be able to, you know, live a happy life. But even, but even, all these expectations. Bennett, once they get down to the second and third child, they can do whatever the hell they like. Yeah, but, but yeah, even some so, expectations, but, but Colin, Colin's still, Colin's still sort of following society and Colin's still looking to marry and do the right thing per society, whereas Bennett is definitely sort of the black sheep. And yeah, yeah, look, Colin wants to travel, he wants to do that sort of stuff as well, but he still feels very much more like he's got that proper. Um, idea of his place in society, um, whereas Benedict oh, yeah, seems very much the shape of the family and is is off doing his own thing, being an artist, which is very much, I think, a more rebellious sort of profession. And mm. to then find this whole sort of under underbelly of society um, is a good thing for him, I think. It's a real sort of eye-opener to him that actually, like you're saying, um, particularly for women, but for men as well, that, you know, they can exist with that sort of level of freedom so long as they they tread carefully and follow follow society in public, as as um, the artist, I think, sort of, sort of says to me, I think it's in the last episode, that, you know, yes, he's risking his, his, his status every day to be with who he wants to be with, but, you know, finding the ways to do it is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I do find it interesting as well, though, because all these people see each other at these grand events, like the parties and the balls and the opera, and then they all go to, like, Lady Danbury's party, they're all drinking and gambling, the women, mm. and talking about how they're not actually with husbands and that being married allows them to have that freedom. And then you've got Benedict going to the party and he, you know, sleeps with the other artist's, artist's wife and then goes to a party with them the next day and makes the connection that, oh, like, I slept with his wife and they're okay with it. So there's all these things that are bubbling yeah. under the surface and no one acknowledges, but everyone knows goes on. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, interesting, interesting society. Um, okay, um, what else happened? I said the Queen is great. Um, I do want to talk about Lady Down, mm-hmm. but might leave that to the end because we'll talk about yep. who she is and... I want to talk about yeah, the I think that's I think that's sort of because yeah. that hooks into the final scene, so that's probably the best thing to talk about last. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you want to talk about Daphne and Simon's relationship? Yeah, I think we we really interestingly have slightly different perspectives, which I think is quite natural, and I think it's sort of the design of the show. Like I, I like I was saying earlier that um, the, the the benefit of having well written characters or well fleshed out characters is that you can disagree with their motives but understand why they've done them and so similarly i think different people can sort of side with different characters in situations like this um Mm -hmm. um you know we we find out about simon's upbringing and his father and the fact that he doesn't want to have children because of who his father was um and then you've got the i guess um naive daphne not really understanding how children are made who then misinterprets who, who then misinterprets when Simon says that I will not have kids or I cannot have kids. She hears cannot as physically cannot, whereas he means it as I couldn't bring myself to have children. Um, yes. So the marriage is sort of set off on rocky footing from that alone before, and that misinterpretation. Yeah, before you get into that thing, which I know you're going to discuss in a second, 
Um, I was fascinated by the fact that these girls had no idea. And as someone who's read a lot of, I guess, literature that was written at that time, you know, as I said, I am into period pieces and things like that and watched a lot of things. So it's something I've never really thought about because it, it's, it doesn't get talked about. You have all these great romances and at the end of the novel, the heroine gets married and they live happily ever after. And like this idea of actually having children, the expectations there, it's never actually discussed as to what happens or how that happens and things like that. Um, you know, it's very much, and this is made clear, um, particularly with that Daphne and Lord Burbrook storyline, that women aren't allowed to be with men on their own. They always need to be a chaperone because otherwise people will assume that they've gone and, I don't know, had sex in the bushes apparently because they're all all super into that. Um, but that idea of, I guess, purity and um, innocence is very much really important. So I find it fascinating that, like, these guys have no idea how, you know, how to have babies. So when Eloise and Penelope find out about Miss um, Thompson being pregnant, there's that whole thing where they're like, can someone please tell me how babies are made? And how someone knows. who's not married can have a baby because they think it's yeah, physically, someone who's not physically married unable. Hmm. They think that I just that blew my mind, the lack of education. Um, and the mishaps that caused That was and, very, you know, I don't know exactly that, the historical Daphne Daphne and her mother have that whole conflict throughout the second half of the season because Daphne is so furious with her mother because if her mother had just bothered to explain it correctly to her, she would have been much better informed and much more prepared for both for her marriage in general but also um, for understanding or or having a sense of understanding the the reluctance that Simon has, that that perhaps there wouldn't have been that miscommunication. Um, Yeah, I just find it fascinating that, yeah, they, they think you have to be married to have a baby. And then Penelope talks to Miss Thompson. Miss Thompson's like, it's when you're you're in love. But like, that's super vague too. I was like, if this was what was actually happening at the time, no wonder everyone was randomly popping off accidentally pregnant. No one's been told anything. Um, and this is why sex education is important just quietly um, because otherwise, yeah, it just baffled me baffled me and the fact that yeah, the mum couldn't even just say plainly this is this leads to this and this is what you're expecting on your wedding night it was very vague she talked about the dogs and how they did it and it's very natural and we see that Simon and Daphne find it very natural throughout the whole of episode six it's basically just them all over the house um but yeah as you said Daphne just doesn't know exactly how it works and finally thanks to her handmaid, oh, her lady's maid, sorry. Um, I think her name is Rose. Yes. Yes. Um, yes, Rose. Um, she finally gets the plain explanation as to this is how you have kids and realises that Simon is not allowing that to happen, to put it plainly. So... I guess there's then two aspects to this topic that we can go into. One's more controversial than the other. I guess maybe we start with, we'll start with the less controversial one. And I'd be curious to know what's your, um, what's your view on their marriage and who essentially who trapped or who tricked who into marriage? I, I honestly, they all, they annoyed me towards the end. Towards the handles very much over the Daphne and Duke. As attractive as the Duke is, I was very much over there, them and their plot line. Because it was, oh well is me, I've trapped you in this marriage and I'm the bad guy. And then the other one being like, No, I'm the bad guy. And then them making up, but then having that whole fight all over again. And that got very old very quickly because I we knew at the end of it that they were they were a love match, as they kept being called. So we know that they love each other despite their attempts to ignore the feelings themselves, everyone could see it. Everyone could see it. And that got a bit irritating for me as an audience member because they just kept the same fight. It felt like kept happening until, um, I don't know, I feel like just if they actually communicated 
let's be honest here, communication is key to any relationship. They actually talk to each other and didn't just ignore each other and be sullen and silent. They might have actually, you know, dealt with all this stuff before it actually happened. Um, though I do think it does come down to a bit of semantics when Simon says, I cannot have kids, it does imply that he's physically unable, um, unable to have kids. So it makes sense why Daphne thought that he was physically unable. And that's when she accepted it, that, yeah, we'll never, be, we'll never have a child, but that's, like, it's of no fault of either of us. Like, that's some, not something that we can remedy when we find out that what he actually meant is, I will not have kids. Yeah, whereas I, I think I take a slightly different view on it where I look at it as he was so prepared to die. He was prepared to duel her brother and so prepared to die because, and he made it jewel. as clear as he could to her that he he would not marry her. He couldn't put her through a life of misery like that. He couldn't, he couldn't ask her to sacrifice her desire to have children just to be with him. He couldn't have made it any clearer that... She should find somebody else. She should marry somebody else. Yes, he could have made it clearer in terms of his reasoning. Um, he could have said that I don't want to have children because of my fa horrible father and I want my bloodline to end with me. He could have mm -hmm. very plainly spoken. But Communication. Clearly, clearly a very sore topic for him, though. Clearly, you know, it's not... It's When, when Anthony and him are trading barbs at the Gentleman's Club and, and as soon as Anthony mentions his father, he gets pretty pretty pissed off as well. So it's clearly a very sore topic yeah. for him um, that, you know, he was trying to, he was trying to say it as plainly as he could without, without um, upsetting himself. I, I think the fact that she then said to him, I don't care. We don't need to have children. I love you anyway. That was her sort of accepting that she wasn't going to have children. So from his point Gosh. of view, that's why then afterwards he was saying, well, great, you know, I can't believe that I found somebody who is happy to have this marriage and it's just us. Um, you surprised me, but it, this is fantastic. Um, she's the one. Can't. Not will not. It's semantics. It really comes down she's to the choice of words. It, it is semantics, but it, it's the fact that she's accepted a life without children. He thinks she's accepted a life without children. Whereas from her point of view, if there's even the slightest possibility that they could have children, she would jump at it. And and yes. that's clearly not the perception he had of her accepting his marriage proposal or accepting marriage to him, even with all of the discouragement that he gave her. Yeah. I mean, yeah, look, he's broken. And we do see, like, Daphne's speech at the end um, is very much an appeal to that broken side of him. And she's like, I don't care that you're not perfect. Like, you, no one's expecting you to be. We're all... Um, we all have our flaws um, and I love you for yours regardless of what they are we see that kind of breakthrough but it wasn't like poor Daphne had to go and find out all this information for herself to be able to work out how to appeal to Simon like he I know has had that awful upbringing with his dad obviously does not feel like he's good enough for anyone or anything but because he didn't share that it just led to all that drama um, and, you know, she had to go talk to Lady Danbury. Well, she didn't have to talk to Lady Danbury, but she had to go read the letters um, that he had wrote, written to his father to get that understanding and talk to Lady Danbury, who then kind of went, I pushed him, but he had to make that realisation himself. And that's when Daphne goes, okay, this is what I can do to get him to realise where I'm coming from. Um, the both um, are stubborn. Stubborn, what's, very annoying. Yeah. What's what's your take then on I guess probably the most controversial scene in the series, which is when it's sort of the, the culmination or the, the climax, for lack of a better word, of this fight. Huh. Um where she essentially forces him to uh not pull out of her whilst they're having sex. And I guess there's been a bit of talk online and a bit of feedback on the series that this essentially amounts to a rape of him um, by continuing even without his consent. And um, I guess for, like, well, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go first. I, again, said, go back to what I said before, if they had actually communicated with each other and actually talked rather than 
assumed that each of them was the villain and sat there sullenly and just got angry and didn't actually talk to each other, none of this would have happened. Like it really came down to that communication. Um, is it right? I don't think what I don't think what um, Daphne did was right at all. There should have been an open like open conversation rather than trying to like trap him. But then, like, she was angry at him afterwards for not communicating with her, which I think is justified. But then he was also angry at her because he broke, she broke his trust, essentially, also 100% justified. Um, again, there wouldn't have been a show if they actually talked to each other, let's be honest here. Yeah, they'd actually I, had an open conversation, none of these plot points would have happened. I think, I think... Um, and there would have been no sort show. Of- sort of going a bit more meta with it because I think there was a bit of criticism that the show didn't really address the aftermath of that scene. I I think that's not quite right. I think they do because of the fact that Simon is so angry at her and feels so betrayed by her is is at least in part due to specifically what she's done. And they have, they have for most of that next, they have for most of that next episode, the, the um, the distance that sort of the, the dread or the anticipation for whether or not she's actually pregnant. And it's it's that sort of um, unspoken sort of frustration between them about that because it's, it's essentially been done without his consent. Um, so I don't think it's right to say that it doesn't get addressed at all. Um, and, yes, you know, communication would definitely help things, but um, at the end of the day... That doesn't really excuse, you know, just because he doesn't want to talk to her about it doesn't then give her the right to to do what she did. So no, I think it's a, I, agree I think it's a, it's a really, I think it's a really important scene because I think it shows mm-hmm. a side that doesn't normally get portrayed or discussed, which can be that this sort of thing can happen from both sides. So yes. um, I, I actually didn't think it was as negative a scene as some people seem to think it was. I can understand some people might be upset by it. I don't actually know. Put a trigger warning or content warning. I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say I don't actually know if there was a content warning at the start of the episode for. Because uh, we just went through an episode. Um, I know they normally have the content warning for you know nudity and sexual references and all that sort of thing. I don't know if they specifically called out this scene, which they, if they haven't, they probably should. Um, mm-hmm. So I can understand why some people would be upset. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just as I said. By the end of the season, I was very much over. Daphne and um well I think that's the idea though isn't it that, that this is this is this is Daphne's book so by the end of this yes, season we should true. feel like we've seen their plot and it, it's done and we don't need we, we shouldn't be left in season two when we're watching Anthony's plot thinking where's Daphne and Simon let's go back to them like this no, season is as a very closed closed uh, story well it them. does and like the season ends with Daphne having a son yeah um so she doesn't end up actually can they, they all live happily ever after? Can they all live happily ever after? Um, which I found so unbelievable because I felt like I feel like we had all that anger at each other about her trying to, you know, basically force him to have a child with her. Um, and then in the last episode, everything's all fine and dandy, and they're having a kid at the end of it. I it would have been more believable for me to have like more of a time period of maybe having Daphne in season two having the baby rather than right at the end of season one. I do get their kind of tying up that yeah. plot line. But if they're going to do, do a season two, we're going to see his characters anyway. So I, Yeah, I was actually surprised because I did feel like that scene was meant to be set a couple of years later, but clearly it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't and if it was, it wasn't made clear. It just felt but, very like it tacked on at that, the end. I don't know. Was that, the, that wasn't even the last scene of the series of the show, was it? It, it was because we found out who Lady Whistledon was, and then it oh. jumped to that. Yeah. So oh, okay. So very, maybe it is. Maybe it is a bit later then. Yeah, but they didn't. They didn't specify that. So I just found it very right. odd to have it tacked on there. I would have. Oh, I mean, for me, I would have preferred if they just ended up with the Lady Whistledown reveal mm. and left it at that and started season two maybe with. The, yeah, the, Anthony going off to Clarkton with his mum because Daphne is about to give birth. Yeah, I think I think. Thing. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that way around. I think you're right. I think if it ended with Whistledon's revelation instead, I think having that at the very end is a very they all lived happily ever after sort of, um, sort of uh, message when that's not necessarily um, the case. While we're talking about women taking advantage of men, 
um, quickly, the Colin Marina plot. Um, mm-hmm. Marina not telling Colin about being pregnant because this leads us into Lady Whistledown. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think about that? Um, it was a very complex plot because there's a few different factors at play in it. Um, of course, you know, um, we're waiting to get any sort of message from um, Marina's Spanish soldier. Uh, or, or soldier who was serving soldier. in Spain. He was soldier, soldier in serving Spain. in Spain. Yes, um, to 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 hear if he's going to support her and the baby. Um, of course, then there's the forged letter that suggests that he won't. So she's then driven to find somebody else who will support the baby. So you can understand from her perspective as a woman of that time needing to find a husband quite quickly to avoid yes. any dishonor of her name and her family. Um, of course, but then the other side of that is yep. As Miss Beverington said, you marry an older man who is in want of an heir anyway, he won't ask questions. Yeah. But a younger guy like Colin, Colin, who has, as Penelope says, his whole life in front of him, is that fair? Sorry, sorry, what were you saying? Yeah, well, and so I was going to say, so that, that that's exactly it. So, like, that's the, the other side of it is that while she's justified to try and find someone to support her and her baby, um, to to sort of ensnare Colin in that way is very unfair on Colin and especially on mm-hmm. Penelope, who has clearly expressed that she has feelings for him um, and is essentially a sister to to um, to Marina in this season. Like, they're very clearly quite close. Yeah, she's very supportive of her. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think is really unfair, and I think it's actually an interesting parallel to draw this plot to the Daphne plot, where again it is that sort of deception um, playing out. And interestingly, it's 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 a it's a woman. Well, I guess this is sort of the flip, isn't it? This is the woman deceiving Colin versus Simon deceiving Daphne. So you kind of get the juxtaposition of that. Um, I think. I think it's it's a really unfortunate plot because it's a very real sort of plot in the sense that clearly, yes. um, clearly Marinus is quite desperate and, and doesn't really want to. Yeah, and she doesn't want to marry a crusty old dude just because he's going to look after her. He wants she wants to still be able to marry someone that she'll actually be in love with and and actually be happy with. So she thinks yes. she's kind of got the best of both worlds because she's got Colin who's proposed to her and he's happy to whisk her off for a quick wedding, um, which will then sort of solve all her problems. Uh, until, of course, um, Lady Whistledown uh, interferes. Yes, and reveals that Marina is pregnant to the whole of society. Um, mm. But, yeah, there's much in this show very much focused on love and marrying for love um, rather than marrying for practicality. And you get to see those who are quite young and new, so like Marina and Daphne, who are focused on being in love, juxtaposed with those who have been married for a few years and have gone, you married for the advantageous reasons, not for love, um, which is interesting. But um, I do enjoy that Colin, when he has that meeting with Marina at um, Hastings' house, and he's just like, if you had told me, rather than have it be revealed by Lady Whistledown, if you told me you're pregnant and this was the situation, I probably would marry, I still would have married you anyway. Um, instead, yeah. Lady Whistledown reveals it and um, the family basically cuts all ties with Marina because they're trying to avoid um, speculation that Colin is actually the mother um, rather than her being actually knocked up by someone else and trying to bring shame upon the Bridgerton family. Um, Now, you made an interesting observation because there was a point in this where I assumed, like Eloise, because I was just following Eloise around because she's amazing, um, that... Um, Genevieve Delacroix, so the mas- the modiste, the dressmaker, um, was actually Lady Whistledown. And that made so much sense because she would have known that Marina was pregnant because she was making her dresses. Um, she probably put two or two together. And so when that gets revealed, I was like, that makes sense that it's Delacroix. Um, but as you said... You pointed out that um, what did you point out, Alex? Um, is this about Penelope? That if she had known from the beginning, oh, that Lady yes. Whistledown had known from the beginning. Why didn't she reveal it? Yeah, point? well, and that's it. I think. I think. Well, I guess are we are we going to reveal um, that Lady Whistledown? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. 
Well, it's already because on I think, If you've been yes. on Netflix's social pages, it's there. Yeah, um, and I think I, I think the reveal that it was Penelope makes the most sense. So I think I in one sense, so wild. It, in one sense, it was it was a really good twist. Twist in the sense that it wasn't someone that you'd necessarily think of, but at the same time, when you piece it all together, it does make a lot of sense. And we watched that interview with um, Penelope's actress, Nicole, uh, yeah, Nicola Coughlin, who is fantastic. Who, who, who sort of said that she did play into it throughout the season. So it's not one of those reveals where um, it's tacked on at the end and there's no sort of breadcrumbs through the series. You can now go back and rewatch the series and and see sort of scenes where Penelope's in the background sort of eyeing things off and making note of things in, in a way, sort of mentally making note of things. Um, yes. And I think, and, and then specifically in this situation, it does make a lot of sense as well because as, as I was sort of thinking, if it wasn't, if it wasn't, um, if, if it was going to be somebody linked to the Featherington family, it didn't make sense that if, you know, if it was a maid or someone, it didn't make sense that they would withhold this information about um, Marina's pregnancy until the final episode if they've known the whole time. It's something that yes. would have been written about much earlier. So for um, Whistledown to be Penelope, who's sort of been trying to find all these other ways to stop the, the wedding happening, and then finally... Yeah, as a, as a sort of measure of last resort, she she finally goes, okay, well, stuff it. I'm going to have to publish it as Lady Whistledown. Um, you know, that's sort of, that's sort of, um, it, it sort of makes the most sense, yeah. Yes, I do enjoy that throughout Eloise is like, Lady Whistledown's so cool. She's earning her own money, but also like revealing all this great gossip and, you know, creating all this thing and how I'd love to be like her. And Penelope's like, oh, no, I could never do that. All I want to do is get married as like, per the society's expectations when all along she's the one who mm. is actually earning the coin and that's Amazing. yeah and that's why i was sort of saying in, in our non-spoiler portion it's going to be really interesting next season now with the audience knowing who lady whistledown is and not the characters unlike in a show like gossip girl where you found out in like the last episode now oh, you get so that- disappointing yeah and, well, now you get now you get that added layer where the creators can now have a bit of fun with it. Where exactly. I mean, I, I don't want it to get to the point where we're sort of seeing Penelope, you know, scribbling notes and then hurriedly hiding them before someone comes in. I don't want it to well, be that obvious. But make it a bit I of think fun. If it, if it was that obvious, yeah, it'd be disappointing. Um, I do want to go back now and like rewatch, maybe not straight away, but eventually, and see where you can spot her out because even in that interview with Nicola Coughlin, and they showed some scenes from the show. And you could see her lurking behind some of these conversations when you would not have noticed her before. Mm. But now that she's like, now that we know she's like, this is down, I'm like, oh my God, it all makes so much sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, yeah, well, I think that is it. Do we have anything? Uh, we've really talked about season two. I hope there is a season two. We, here we are talking about season two when so. nothing yeah. has been announced. I, I would think. Oh, look, I mean, I'm just sort of speculating based on social media and all that sort of thing, but it seems like it's been a pretty big success. It seems like it's been received pretty positively, so I can't imagine that they're not going to come back for a second season. Um, oh, I, that was what I was going to say about Lady Whistle Down before we end this. I'll be very quick, brief. Um, I find it interesting the Queen is so desperate to know who Lady, Lady Whistle Down is to stop a public publication, and the Queen seems to be, like, the biggest... Um, fan or consumer of what she's saying. Oh, yeah, I'm really only... confused by that. But doesn't um, she, she only starts to want to stop her when she doesn't report on her party, isn't it? Isn't that the, yes, like that's the, true. The, that's I, I always true. think it's it's kind of funny that the Queen is so sort of put out that she hasn't gossiped about her party. And funnily enough, I think that's almost the clue that kind of triggers Eloise discovering or or um, gives her a big hint to who it could be as being a link to the to Featherington family because the Featheringtons were specifically ab- absent from that party. Well, they so yeah, sort of weren't there ironic, for long. Yeah. But they didn't even mention, like, Lady Whistledown didn't even mention that they were turned out of the party. So I think that's also a clue that it maybe mm. was a Featherington because they're so mm. ashamed that it happened. Um, or that she was fixated on something else. I don't know. Um, and also shout out to Julie Andrews as the voice of Lady Whistledown. I think that is a great choice because her voice is iconic. She's an iconic actress. Um, so hopefully that continues on for season two as well. Um, yeah, it's 
it's a good show. I'm I'm all prepped for um, season two. I just say as well, Daphne, the actress who plays her, um, maybe Devener, Dev Devon. Oh my god, I can't pronounce her surname. Dinever, Dinever, Dinever. Yeah, Dinever maybe. Um, total Kira Knightley vibes. I was just getting Kira Knightley as Elizabeth Bennet in Pride and Prejudice. Obviously, I was getting a little. I was getting more... a stuck as well. Yeah, Young, um, early was, seasons, early season Sansa Stark. Daphne and like Elizabeth Bennet, very different actors, but just the yeah, the vibe she was giving was like very Kira Knightley. The Duke, I think, is everyone's new favorite um, male, <laughs> according to what I'm seeing on social media. Um, there was one tweet that recorded him um, that referred to him as the plot, um, which was great. Mm. Gotta love those memes. Um, <laughs> you're obviously not as keen. I can, um, I can, I can respect that he was very, um, very, uh, very visually appealing. I can, I can respect that. Yeah, um, and yeah, the bridge. I just the bridge them seemed like a lovely family. I did feel for um, the mother and her talking about losing the husband and being a bit lonely. And um, I, I do, Violet. yeah, probably because I think we're going to finish off by looking like sort of speculating on season two, um, even yeah. just briefly. But I, I do think you know, touching on that point, I, I I wonder if those sorts of um breadcrumbs of plot you know, like the the father who's passed away will sort of be expanded on quite significantly in season two, specifically if it's going to be sort of focusing on Anthony's life. Yes. Um, So, yeah, the second book focuses on Anthony, so we can assume season two will focus on Anthony, um, hopefully flesh that character out a bit more. And, yeah, there was that motif of the bees throughout the whole um, season, which bugged me because I'm, like, kept seeing them and I was like, they've got to be there for a reason. Like, there's there's a symbolism there. Um, and according to my internet searches, I don't know if it's correct or not correct. I'm not going to read the books to find out um, that the dad was actually killed by a bee sting, and that's why they've got the bees throughout. That's an odd link, but I guess it's that link back to the past. Maybe we'll, as you said, yet be explored in season two. Fingers mm-hmm. crossed there is a season two. Okay, we've been Fingers talking crossed. for way too long, so let's just end this now. Thank you for listening if you have watched it let us know below what you thought of bridget in um in the comments i'm still yeah give us a like page. share the video around retweet yeah. i'll be tweeting this out on our account oh, so give us a retweet and a follow would be great as well okay bye <laughs>